Well, thank you for tuning in to Chronicles of War. I'm Darren Michael Shaw, the story's author. I'm delighted that you've tuned in, whether you're a subscriber or you've just happened along. It's a real privilege to me that you're here. Chronicles of War is a work of historical fiction. The characters and settings are real, facts are facts, but some of the story is creative composition. I hope you enjoy reading or hearing it as much as I enjoy telling it. And now, Episode 21, Chronicles of War. Mr. Stern's on his way. Nancy Ann refrained from asking her mother the obvious. What would they do? Ill-mannered feist, Harriet cursed as he rode away. Drawing a deep breath at the hearth, she tossed the bank notification into the fire. She watched as the flames grew and engulfed the document. Soldiers for the Union were supposed to be paid every two months in the field, but that hadn't been the trite's experience. Harriet had twice gone to Clinton with Jonas Sullivan to inquire into pay delays. In the meantime, she had exhausted family reserves on seed for the coming season, as Job had directed her in his letters. She supposed this news from Mr. Stearns would occasion yet another trip to Clinton in search of answers. Thirty days. That didn't leave enough time for her even to write to Job and receive a response. This was a matter she would have to figure out on her own. Mother, what can I do to help? Nancy Ann put her arm around her mother's waist at the fire. "'Suppose we start by airing the house of the stench of that man,' Harriet scoffed. The landings were complete by 11 a.m. on the 10th of January. McClernand ordered an advance immediately, but commanders on the ground directed movements so as to locate the enemy's defenses and gather intelligence. Admiral Porter's flotilla, after all, needed time to position on the river where transports had been. The 26 was ordered to ascend the landing and move up river to test an approach. As they came upon enemy trenches, only light resistance was met. The rebels quickly retreated to the fort and to adjacent rife pits. That changed when they came within range of Hinman's heavy guns. Stripped from the Confederate ram parcher train only six months earlier, the fort's three smoothbores, including a nine-inch barbette shell gun on the down-river corner, provided cover for the pits beneath the fort and, because they had encountered only light, small-arms resistance thus far, it caught the men of the 26 quite by surprise when they opened fire. The repeat of the barbette gun echoed so loudly that it was disorienting. Which were the actual firings of the gun, and which were its echoes? Were the shots coming from the fort only, or also from somewhere behind them? Men dove for cover. Commanders barked directions. Chaos, it all seemed to Job. Mercifully, Job thought... They had fallen upon one of the abandoned defense works of the enemy so as to offer them cover for the moment. The moment was oh so brief. The rifle repeats of the enemy, now firmly entrenched, began a percussive concerto all their own. Milo Smith knew that his company was in grave danger. Most of the Union men were still at the landing, and Admiral Porter's fleet were not yet all in place. Job and others of the men wondered, was this now the assault, or was this simply another expedition, this one having met resistance? After all, they were ordered to locate the enemy. Found them, Job thought. Smith sounded a retreat. As men maneuvered to escape the trench, enemy shots began to hit their mark. If the echo of the guns weren't disconcerting enough, the sounds of human bodies collecting shot sickened. 
This was the twenty-sixth first taste of bloodshed. It seemed a sickening strategy was now being employed. As men rose to retreat, their turned backs offered clear targets. A young private named Smith, no relation to Colonel Smith, was hit in the middle of his back, the ball exiting his chest. He stood upright, looking down at the gaping wound in his chest. He raised a hand as if to signal he'd been hit, when a second shot took most of his fingers. Thomas, just beneath the man, crawled on all fours for a cleft in the dirt. Job looked left and right for a way to egress. He saw a group of four or five men who had reloaded and were poised to move. Safety in numbers seemed appealing. Calling to young Thomas, he directed, This way! The two, half-running, half-crawling, drew up to the group. You're it, father, Ryle proclaimed. Job covered his eyes and began to count out loud. Slipping his fingers apart, he saw his young son climbing into a grain sack. "'Now where do you suppose he's hidden?' Job called aloud as he poked all around the area where his boy lay still. "'Under here?' he playfully dove to look under a grist table. "'Up here?' he climbed a few steps to look into the loft. "'I don't know,' the boy's father proclaimed. "'I think I'll sit down over here on this bag of grain and think about it.' The bag offered both a giggle and a wiggle as Job pretended to rest his weight down. "'What's this? I've never known a bag of grain to move about. I've never known one to laugh. I've never known one to be ticklish.' And Job tickled the boy through the bag, revealing that he had been discovered. "'You cheated,' giggled Ryle. "'You looked. You cheated. You looked. That's about how this felt.' Everyone who moved seemed to get hit. The rebels knew where they hid and were toying with them. A real fear set in with Job. It wasn't so much a fear of dying, but rather a near panic. We're stuck here, and there's not a way out. It was sort of like claustrophobia, a get-me-out-of-this-pit-the-walls-are-closing-in-on-me sort of an anxiety. And in the faces of each of the men he clustered with, he saw the same scared look. Are we going? Job asked. The men rolled out to make their escape, and there it was, that sickening sound once again, and this time alarmingly close. Job's heart flashed, No, God, please don't let it be. And back at the landing, after an inventory of the dead and wounded had been tallied, Job wrapped himself up in his own issue blanket and that of young Mr. Thomas whose personal effects he'd gathered to send home. Well, this concludes episode 21. Thank you again for tuning in. Thanks also for helping me get the word out. The podcast is up over 11,000 downloads now, with subscriptions from all over the world. I so appreciate you telling others about this story. You can learn more about me, this story, and others of my writings at my website, www.darrenmichaelshaw.com. Until next time, blessings.